Welcome, everyone. You're listening to the Imperfect Podcast. I'm Kathy. And I'm Kennedy. Join us on this week's episode as we discuss intriguing topics and people of interest that will inspire us to explore all of the unique pieces of ourselves. We are all imperfectly perfect. We're We're glad glad you're here. here. to another episode of the imperfect podcast and the imperfect music quality so um we're trying our best here um but today's show is a tribute to a children's educational television series that is comprised of a cast of human and puppet characters um that are like The puppets are also known as um, Muppets um, that over generations have helped children grow smarter, stronger, and kinder. So we're talking about Sesame Street, if you haven't already guessed. Uh, The sources for information today have come from Logopedia, Wikipedia, the History Channel, and the New York Post. Yeah, Sesame Street was the brainchild of Joan Gans Cooney, a former director and producer for public television. Cooney and uh, her colleagues Friedman and Morissette wanted to use television to help young children, especially from lower income families, in preparing for school. And their goal was to create a children's television show that was entertaining, educational, and had a focus on being able to master the addictive qualities of television and turn them actually into something good for kids. Um, They wanted to address topics such as relationships, ethics, and emotions. So overall, the team wanted to make programming equally accessible to children from disadvantaged, lower socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds, while while making it so appealing to inner city children that it would help them learn as much as children with more educational opportunities. So Joan and her team ran a series of five three-day curriculum planning seminars to decide which school preparation skills uh, would be shown on the show. Uh, so these seminars ended up being a bit of a crash course, quite, lit- quite literally in psychology, race, child development, early childhood education, social issues, um, etc. for the staff auditions where white actors were the minority didn't begin until just a few weeks before uh, they were due to put out five test shows and after vetting the actors they actually had the children decide the final casting and they told the kids to go for it based on the uh, the participants enthusiasm in the auditions that's really freaking cool i think that's so unique well, if you're putting out a kid's show you might as well let the kids decide most of it right right they're your target right so the producers and writers decided to build the new show around the set of an inner city making um an inner city street neighborhood and included ethnically diverse characters with the interest of making it a relatable and familiar type space uh, to their target audience 
and the produ- sorry producers were unable to agree on a name and they liked and like on a name that they all liked and they waited until the last minute to make the decision um and so they were frantic for title and not liking any of them really and they finally settled on the name that they disliked least of their choices so that would be sesame street um which was actually inspired by a story from the 1700s called 1001 nights where character alibaba speaks the magical phrase open sesame i never knew that me neither and so strange like where did that come from and that they just went like they might as well put all the names in a hat and gone oh this one because they didn't at that point they just needed a name yeah i could just see it you know it's about three o'clock in the morning (laughs) we have to pick something i don't even care anymore yeah right so puppeteer jim henson which is a name most of us would recognize uh he was hired by uh cooney to create a cast of Muppet characters, including favorites like Bert and Ernie, Cookie Monster, Oscar the Grudge, Grover, Big Bird, you know, Elmo in later years. It was reported that Henson was initially reluctant to become involved in a children's show, but Cooney was prepared to proceed without the Muppets. Can you imagine Sesame Street with no Muppets? I can't, but I mean, that just shows her tenacity too. She was bound and determined to get this show and these messages out. And it would have been completely different, but I think that is the appeal. Like the Muppets bridge the gap between kids and adults. Right. And addressing real world issues like they have. Mm. So Sesame Street was the first children's television program that used a curriculum with clear and measurable outcomes and where research was always being done. I mean, I read all kinds of studies that they they did to try to get the right elements in. And in fact, 10 to 15% of the show's initial budget was devoted specifically to research, including Hmm. the ability of capturing and keeping the children viewers attention. So I thought this was super interesting as well. So they would run episodes and if the episode captured uh, one of the kids interests, 80 to 90% of the time, the producers would air it. But if it only was testing about 50%, they'd reshoot it that's big and that's big money too in time yeah in the research plus if you were okay well then we didn't keep their attention we've got to reassess and then reshoot it like that's a lot and like obviously the math averts because i found that by this fourth season amazingly of their uh, efforts in making the show the episodes rarely tested below 85 percent attention span insanity that's great results and um they tested their pilot episodes on 60 preschoolers and found that the children's attention during the segments with the muppets was high but it dwindled during the on the street segments so to remedy this issue uh jim henson and the crew reshot the street segments adding in you know oscar the grouch and big bird to interact with the human actors and still keep the attention of the kids so again going back to the fact imagine if these puppets these muppets weren't a part of the show the attention span for children would be like just dwindled the whole show i guess but um just even in like bringing the the show out on the streets they added in little elements of them just to keep that attention there 
Yeah, I think they probably, Cooney sounds like she was a, a tough egg and knew what she wanted to do. So I think she would have succeeded in another way, but who knows if it would have been what Sesame Street has become. Right. And there's no way. So the producers spent 18 months and $28,000 preparing the new show. So that was virtually unheard of in children's television programming at that time. I don't know what they, they just made a couple of still shots, called it a cartoon and didn't think kids needed any more than that. So um, yeah, 28,000 can't even barely buy like, you know, a, a new car. I don't even think you buy a new car that now. Can't even buy groceries for $28,000. Right. <laughs> we are laughing, but it's not funny. Um, and so, but I mean, look at, look at now and the money, $60 million for one episode, not like a bunch of episodes, but that's one episode of a current show, like uh, Lord of the Rings, something like that. Mm-hmm big money and although the show was geared toward children um they did obviously add humor elements directed toward adults um and it was with the hope of encouraging parents to watch along with their children and take part in the learning process and it also featured guest appearances from people in just about every walk of life from garbage collectors to shelf shelves to chefs musicians and politicians so there were multiple different um professions in the show that were viewed and it's funny like I remember you even saying mom like watching Sesame Street like there were certain shows you didn't mind watching with me as a kid just because they did consider the the parents the adults in those cases and um, it can spike a car or spark a conversation, but I think it's just also good for the parents when they're sitting there. Trust you know, me. Yes. Yeah. Playing. Uh, After a while, you're like, mm, right. It's nice to have something. You've, you've had kid shows on from the time the kid gets up till the time they go to bed. Not that you guys don't watch a crazy amount of TV or anything, but just any any children's show even going in the background you know was fun it had music this that but yes there were a few that I didn't mind and others that I would have liked to jump off a tall building and the part we're not even like considering here right now is also the fact that it's something that you watched and then it's something that I watched so it's also something sentimental for you but anyway nostalgic value yeah so two days before the show's premiere a 30 minute preview uh entitled this way to sesame street was taped and aired so two days before yeah (laughs) was what (laughs) uh days later sesame street aired its first episode on november 10th in 1969 only a year later in 1970 their method proved successful when the cover of time magazine featured big bird who had received more fan mail than any of the show's human hosts. Imagine. Yeah. And you think of the special guests and everything too in there. Big Bird <laughs> gets all the fan mail. Yes. Uh, I believe yeah. it though. <laughs> uh, and the uh, the magazine declared it is not only the best children's show in TV history, it is one of the best parents shows as well. By 2019, 80% of parents watched Sesame Street with their children. That's like a staggering percentage. And it's so huge for a child to just 
you know, it's so easy to put the kid on the floor with some trucks and Legos and whatever. And to have that time with your child, not only to have that time with your child, but for the child to have the time with the parent. Yeah. You know, and I assume there's some little discussions and whatever going on as well. And then it's the parent, you know, that, Hey, Oh yeah. Do you remember when we saw whatever, you know, how to count to three or whatever it is. Right. Right. It was a, a hit. And Big Bird was added to the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 94 and uh, was featured on a 99, a 1999 postage stamp printed by the U.S. Postal Service. So hitting all their marks with children's education and attention as well uh, as engaging parents at a high rate. And Sesame Street went on to become the most widely viewed children's program in the world. Crazy, eh? I was a part of it. <laughs> Shortly after the premiere of Sesame Street on CTW, which is the Children's Television Workshop, um, they were approached by producers, educators, and officials of other nations requesting that versions of the show be aired in their countries. And by 2016, 39 different co-productions had been created and produced, each with its own local name and its own Muppets and its own educational objectives designed to meet the needs of those local children in each of the areas. What a freaking project. Crazy. 39 it's... different co-productions. Yeah. And the iconic street holds a lot of memories for most children who grew up in the 70s and beyond. And so many current 25 to 55 year olds, um, along with their parents too, apparently. So like I was saying, um, <laughs> right. So mom and I both enjoyed Sesame street. Um, they have a strong recollection of this iconic street and the characters that lived there. So I think, uh, I think actually your age group are the last ones that kind of really got a decent picture of what Sesame Street was like. And then mm. you, you also had to listen to me pulling up like, hey, watch this one. This one doesn't air anymore. And this one was really funny. And yeah. you know, the fat cat one comes to mind. You know? Yes, absolutely. But right. see, that's not one that I remember specifically. I only know it because, yeah, you pulled it up on, on your phone. And look at this. <laughs> yeah, because so many things had changed over the years. You know, there was... When I grew up, there was two channels on TV and one French channel, which, you know, we never went there. So um, there's been changes in programming. Now you get every and every channel under the sun and you can picture custom channels according to, you know, what your interests are. Yeah. Um, there's been a change in the age group I read. It had originally been for a little bit older age group, like right ready to start kindergarten and the early kindergarten, grade one, grade two, even kids up to those ages were watching. But now the viewer, uh, their target viewer, I guess, is younger than preschool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's been a change in the dynamics of parents. Parents aren't home with their child to encourage that. Most kids go to daycare now. Right. So a lot of things have changed along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And they've done really well at navigating all of these changes. And we'll talk a bit more about that. And so using brief skits, musical numbers, cartoons, video footage, um, the program both entertains and educates. So both great things and many simple lessons on basic 
academic skills, uh, self-esteem, positive socialization, problem solving. They've all been taught from this famous fictional street and where all these characters and humans live and interact with each other. Um, so we thought we'd talk about a couple of memories and uh, mom had list a couple, listed a couple. And again, like, I don't remember these specific ones, like a couple of them that she brings up, but they're memories for her. So we thought we'd uh, talk a bit about them. You want to start? Yeah. So Grover and his ever important lessons on near and far and left and right. And he would, you know, run to the front of the screen. Near I remember and, that. And the same with the left and the right and the big and the small. And then there was lefty and his golden Anne and the tan band. I don't know if you ever had to put no. that. Or, you know, he would do the want to buy a watch skit. Man falling down the stairs with 12 cherry pies <laughs> and that sticks in my head every time I'm carrying something up the stairs or particularly down the stairs and first thought in your head is what if I dump these <laughs> usually I always say 12 cherry pies because it's in there from yeah oh yeah and she's not lying anytime where she says these things I didn't know that's where it came from <laughs> I thought you were just la la <laughs> like I don't know <laughs> he just started screaming 12 cherry pies. I don't know. Um, the psychedelic pinball machine. So the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So I do remember that one. Yeah. And then you probably don't remember Mr. Hooper. No. So he was a shopkeeper uh whose name was always mispronounced by Big Bird. He'd say. <laughs> Mr. You know, he'd have a talk and Mr. Hooper would give him words of wisdom and teach him a little lesson. And he'd say, okay, bye, Mr. Cooper. <laughs> and the guy would be like, hoopa, hoopa. And he'd call him Mr. Pooper and Mr. Looper and Miss Everything Else. <laughs> so that, that's kind of funny. Um, there were human characters, too. Uh, David, Luis, Maria. I don't know if you remember any of those. I remember Maria yeah yeah the the aliens, aliens. yeah yep. the yep 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 uh-huh uh-huh yeah for sure <laughs> so they discovered everything from the earth in the beginning and then then there was a telephone yep, 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 yep. and the clock radio and the clock and you know all kinds of fun there yep uh then we have oscar and his pet worm slimy mm. Slimy, I remember yet. I remember it going across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and you could even see the little like wiry things yeah. that they use that which was even to make the back fun. go up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um yeah. Ernie with his uneven licorice distribution. I don't know what you mean by that. I remember no. his rubber ducky. I'm surprised you don't remember about the licorice because I've used this as a life example too so I can remember growing up my parents would always be like well okay if you split the thing then the other kid gets to the other sibling gets to decide which one they want so it kept you honest right hmm. but <laughs> Ernie <laughs> would have a licorice and he'd say do you want you know i'm gonna split this licorice licorice with bert and he'd go to split it in half but then one would be the longer than the other and so then he'd take a bite off the longer one. Oh, i do remember shorter okay. and then you know eventually by the end of it he 
right ate the whole licorice and bird has the this look on his face (laughs) just the eyes straight ahead yeah then there's okay well bert uh his love for pigeons and bottle caps and paper clip collections i do remember that the pigeons specifically yeah and you probably remember cookie monster and his signature song yeah yes you had a you had a cassette tape with all these i did and you know what if that was found i'd probably know every word of it yeah yeah so we're talking about c is for cookie and um Cookie Monster also had a notable alter ego character, but you probably don't remember him. No. Yeah. Alistair Cookie, the host of the reoccurring Sesame Street segment, Monster Seer. So he would sit in a high wing back chair with a, a library scene behind him and, you know, kind of hold the the pipe and look. He had this high neck, high collared neck on it. He would review books or something. I don't even I think remember. I know the high collared thing, but I don't know the names in the monster piece theater and all of that. But so, um, so yeah, neat for me. And you even said when you were reading over the notes, you're like, what about Elmo? But you see, I didn't grow up with Elmo. I talked about the characters that I knew when I grew up, and the, yeah, I know Elmo hit the scene when you were about mm-hmm. it, right. But Elmo, yeah, but Elmo, and I'm sitting here trying to think of his name, in Elmo's world, he had his goldfish and all of this and the piano and all of that, but the, what was his name, Mr. with the curtain? Funny Pants? No, Mr. Not not Funny Pants. I should have looked it up before. Someone's going to be like, it's this. and He's like a stupid clown. Is that what you mean? Yeah, like the curtain would go up. And he would be there doing all these stupid things. Oh, I can't remember his name. But anyways, that's what I remember most about Sesame Street. Um, you missed the best of it, in my opinion. Oh, okay. Of course, it's when I grew up. So that's why it's the best for me. Right. So uh, by its 50th anniversary in 2019, whoa, uh, Sesame Street had produced over 4,500 episodes, 35 TV specials, 200 home videos and 180 albums and i owned one of them the cassette, owned a cassette tape yeah i probably uh, owned the the small record with the flip along book right and uh the show had aired in more than 120 countries with more than 30 international versions meaning over 150 million children viewed over 150 versions of sesame street and 70 languages and so they had won 11 Grammys and over 150 Emmys in its history, more than any other children children's show or probably oh, some adult huge, shows even. Huge numbers in all categories. Yeah. 150 million children. That's a lot of kids. Yep. <laughs> and as of 2023, Sesame Street reached its 54th season. It's older than me crazy the youtube channel has 5 million subscribers and the show has 24 million plus followers on social media and many of the show's storylines have been taken from the experiences of its writing staff cast and crew which i think is really cool because real life experience and in their quest to teach relationships um so with these experiences it's 
um, their teaching relationships, ethics, diversity, and positive and negative emotions over the years. And they have handled some topics uh, such as the following. So many people gained their first exposure to sign language and impaired hearing itself from Linda, the librarian who lived on Sesame. So this was in 1972. Yeah, in 82, Mr. Willie, who had played the shopkeeper that I spoke about, Mr. Hooper, uh, he died. And the producers and staff decided that they would explain Mr. Hooper's death to their preschool audience somehow. And the episode, which won an Emmy, actually aired on Thanksgiving Day in 1983 so that parents could be home to discuss it with their children. It was that thought out you know he was just like a member of the family really yeah and so thought out that they would air it on thanksgiving day so that parents would be home to discuss with their kids Mm -hmm. like everything so thought out uh they introduced a few bilingual muppets that spoke both english and spanish osvaldo l what (laughs) grunion i don't know um, so a fellow grouch that Oscar meets and a little girl named Rosita La Monstrua de la Cueva. Sorry, I'm totally not doing that very well. Um, so the monster of the caves, uh, who began teaching about Latin American culture and language in 1991. Yeah, so inclusive. Um, 1993, the show introduced Tara, a nine-year-old girl who needed a wheelchair to get around, but she didn't let it slow her down. She demonstrated to the kids watching the show how she did her wheelchair exercises, taught about accessibility ramps, and performed in a wheelchair race and a ballet. An episode highlighting 9-11 in 2001 was presented to help children process their feelings along with the rest of the world. It's it's really neat how they consider the kids seeing as it's a kid's show, but not just like, oh, don't talk about it around them. Like, of course, those events, you know, affect the whole world. Of They're course, impactful. Kids are going to hear about it, right? So might as well deal with it in a way that kids can understand. Right. Um, in 2001, the previously mentioned Hispanic pup Muppet, Rosita, began teaching Spanish uh, on the show with the word of the day the spanish word of the day then there was hurricane katrina that was addressed on the show in 2005 giving perspective as their characters dealt with their feelings and fears about world events with the rest of us in 2006 a new muppet abby Kadabi, made her debut and was positioned as the show's first female star character So a Muppet named Maboob was introduced in 2006 as a response to the growing Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, So the Muppet was bilingual uh, and in Hebrew and Arabic and was added to the show in an effort to promote tolerance to the show's young viewers. In 2010, Joey Mazzarino... Uh, a puppeteer and head writer for Sesame Street wrote a song called I Love My Hair and I read the story about this Uh, he saw his daughter who was African-American struggling with her own hair and getting frustrated because she wanted to know why her Barbies always had silky straight hair and she was having trouble managing her own and so this uh 
this puppeteer and head writer of Sesame Street thought, hey, I'm going to write a song about it and incorporate a character. So they did. And uh, the Muppet's name was Seji, I think. And the character represented the frustrations that his daughter faced managing her hair in a world of silky straight haired Barbies, basically. Um, their song struck a chord with African-American girls and other women all over the world. Very, very cool. Uh, in 2016, the company introduced Zari, the first Muppet of Afghan descent, to tackle the issue of women's rights by providing young Afghan girls with a powerful and positive role model. Then Julia joined the cast in 2016. She didn't talk much and she didn't make a lot of eye contact directly. She is also sensitive to loud noises, uh, a trait that some children with autism exhibit, but she was also very smart and had a good memory. So they were incorporating real world uh, situations into their show. Mm -hmm. uh, Carly, a Muppet character whose mother is battling addiction, was introduced in 2019. So this acquainted kids with the opioid crisis. Sesame Street characters were also included in the 2020 town hall discussions to help children understand difficult topics during the COVID pandemic and uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests. I remember that. And I remember I, I was thinking that was really cool how they incorporated the, the Sesame Street characters because it was, again, considering the kids. Uh, mm -hmm. In 2022, the show added a five-year-old South African Muffet, Muffet, Muppet character named Cami, who is HIV positive. Cami's advice covers everything from how HIV is transmitted, or more importantly, how it isn't transmitted, to how to deal with grief when someone you love passes away from AIDS. Cami has become somewhat of an international spokesman for the cause. How freaking cool is that? Well, just all of it, it's they've taken the world and put it in kids' language and letting... And digestible morsels, quite literally. I mean, screw the kids at this point. Like, it's also really great for the adults to even just absorb it in that way. Like, it just very... Screw you know what I mean? Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You mean not only the children, it, it's helpful to the adults because many adults have trouble processing those events absolutely they do yeah so as if sesame street wasn't cool enough while doing research for this show uh, mom and i realized that the producers writers researchers cast and crew known for teaching educational and interpersonal skills adaptability and life lessons haven't just talked the talk for the past 55 plus years that they have been working on their show they have also been walking the walk in show production that is parallel to real life so what we mean is what they have gone through in creating changing and producing the show for the past five and a half decades parallels to how we should perhaps approach life as a whole of just adapting and reassessing and adding new elements and taking away other things that aren't working anymore. Yeah. Cause really, I mean, do you think they use the same cast and crew then that they're using now? And do you think they're using the same principles that they started out with in 1969? Definitely Oops. not. <laughs> 
So there's been a process, a journey of sorts, which in a strange way, it aligns with the growth processes in our lives. You know, they've dreamed and studied, created, been criticized. Uh, they've experimented, they altered, they pivoted, and they did so over and over again in order to stay in the market of children's programming and being, you know, one of the top shows and probably for many years, the top show. Yeah, and despite extraneous effort, it hasn't always been sunny days uh, for the puppet-driven series. So we've already discussed how the show began and grew, but here's just a few of the aspects, um, the other aspects of the average that the average viewer viewer may not be aware of. So, as mentioned, there were a lot of hiccups, fine tuning adjusting and redoing in the beginnings of the show but even then in the months following its premiere um, and probably even further to that there were criticisms and plenty of them so um, one of which is psychologists uh, actually advised not to put the Muppets on the screen with humans because it could confuse children. Hmm. They also thought that the show contributed to ADHD, or not they, some people believed that the show contributed to ADD by shrinking the children's attention spans because of its short uh, segments that they used. And this must be one from the beginnings of the show, because you look at shows nowadays and it's like, okay, where did we like decide that that was no longer an issue because... I don't remember, there were several articles or whatever about the attention span of children and how shows are just so choppy now that there's no recognition or thought in that. And then you watch a show like Sesame Street, and I bet you that's probably impacted their attention span of children and watching their show because they don't do the quick like change of scenes like a lot of kids shows do nowadays. Well, there were short segments, yeah, but I mean, it was perfect for a kid because, you know, um, I got to go pee or I need a snack or whatever. It's just, right. yeah, it wasn't as short and choppy as they are now, but yeah. yeah. So get this, the state commission in Mississippi voted to not air the show on their particular public network in 1970 stating that Mississippi was not yet ready for the show's integrated cast. Hmm. In the 70s. So, I mean, yeah. I times have changed, still, but... Right. I hear they still have some problems, even to this day. Yes. Topic for another day. Um, some believed the show was promoting unsafe behavior because of children playing in sketchy areas. And construction sites, streets on old equipment, and jumping on old box springs. But yeah. that was the initial like light bulb moment for them, right? Because they wanted children to have that maybe didn't have opportunities, like you know, in inner city kids, to be able to still really receive that level of you know some education there and things. And they needed to make it relevant. I that's, mean, and that's it. If they had kids all sitting there in a suit and tie, nobody would want to watch that. They wanted to watch, you know, the the guy jumping on, you know, the pile of boards or whatever. And plus, remember, like, 69 
like the 70s were a completely different time than they are now like we had stuff like lawn darts with actual darts right right <laughs> and nobody lost an eye strangely <laughs> The show um, was also criticized by Hispanic groups for the lack of Latino characters and, in their words, poor quality and patronizing bilingual aspects in the early years of production, calling Sesame Street racist. Mm -hmm. So this must be where it kind of brought the ideas for them to start introducing new characters, I, I would assume, one of the many criticisms, I'm sure. Yeah, which I would never pick a name like racist to describe. I mean, they're so they try so hard to be inclusive across the board right Right, but I'm saying like maybe because maybe that was before they started introducing the new characters plus we're seeing it from a privileged perspective of we don't see it as racist right but we're of the group that wouldn't see it that way right maybe yeah mm. the New York Magazine uh reported on the criticism of the presence of strong single women in the show oh no <laughs> organizations like the national organization for women felt the show needed to be less male oriented and complained about the lack of credible female muppets so maybe that's where abby right this is probably these criticisms is probably what started and prompted them to introduce new topics and characters and things yeah. um and then there was the security issue of 2011 where their youtube content was hacked and replaced with pornographic content imagine hard to come back from but they cleaned it up as soon as they knew what was going on and just proceeded from what i read and mm -hmm. didn't give it a whole lot of attention i think there was you know the necessaries done and said about it and then just moved on from that but i had i vaguely remember hearing something but it must have really not maybe they made a good a, a good job of making it not a big deal i don't know did you hear about that i didn't no no so even our Muppet friends received criticism. So there was a character, Roosevelt Franklin, which I remember, Kennedy may not. Uh, he was the first Black Muppet to appear on the show, <clears throat> excuse me, and taught lessons on African culture and geography during the episodes. Parents criticized the character for promoting a harmful stereotype to other children um, that they were putting out the message that black children were rowdy and a bad influence because Roosevelt Smith's behaviors and uh, he had some after school detentions because he struggled a little bit in school. So I don't see it the same way, but I'm also not from the other side either, right? right. Like it, it would be a different perspective entirely. Well, and here's the other thing that we haven't really discussed, but it's just when you are creating a children's show and wanting to observe and educate on topics as complex as something like 9-11 mm -hmm. I mean rightfully so you are going to probably receive extra criticism because people are going to go through it with a fine-tooth comb because if you're gonna take on these topics you've got to be ready to take them on so that's yeah. probably why there was a lot of heavy criticisms because they were exploring and presenting topics that a lot of adult shows let alone children's shows um were putting out there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So also a big bird's large imaginary friend, you know, Snuffleupagus. Uh, he was even at risk when adult viewers complained that a failure to accept big bird's reality, despite his firm belief that Snuffleupagus was real, could send the wrong message to young audiences. Uh, show executives did not want to convey to their younger audiences that adults may not believe them in uh, important circumstances. So Snuffy appeared for all to see in 2015. And they modified the message a bit. Uh, it was reinforced in the scene when Bob said to Big Bird, from now on, we'll believe you whenever you tell us something. Hmm. So I think that was also during a time when uh, a lot of, you know, sexual abuse stories and that sort of thing were coming out and they didn't want to give the message that if something had happened specifically to a child also, right. you know, um, that they might not be believed. And a great way to present that as well. Um, and Cookie Monster <laughs> was shamed for having a pike in earlier episodes of Monsterpiece Theater and also was ridiculed for his diet of cookies. Who know, Due to heightened parental concerns about the rise in childhood obesity. And it's a very valid concern, but you know, you've got a Muppet and you're not thinking of these implications, right? So and who, uh, who, who thinks of these implications? Right, like, right. Uh, um, <laughs> so Cookie Monster apparently quit smoking. <laughs> um he never really did it was uh, a costume prop and made some diet changes in 2005 so now a more health conscious cookie monster uh eats more fruits and vegetables on the show and speaks on lessons like a cookie is a sometimes food rather than a consistent snack while fruit is an anytime food yeah and we're sure you won't be surprised to hear that uh it's just no pleasing some people. When Cookie's new diet was revealed, the change prompted fears among other adults that the beloved character was going to be abandoning Cookies altogether and that uh, the show may change his name to the Veggie Monster or that he could be entirely taken off the show. So there was panic there. And it's reported that Cookie Monster clarified the situation on Twitter in 2010 with a quote, Time to put an end to rumors. No, yes. no, you're reading it wrong. You, you get it. It's got to be the broken English, the Cookie Monster broken. Oh, English. you want to? You want to give it? Yeah. Time <laughs> okay, to good. put end to rumors. Yes, me eat vegetables. No, not going to be called vegetable monster. This whole thing's silly. Because <laughs> <laughs> you said time to put an end to rumors. No, time to put end to rumors. Yeah, you're right. Cookie <laughs> would say it that way. So. Uh, but so it's just so brilliant like cookie monster puts that on twitter like it just it's so it handled with such class really yeah, yeah. because it just and th this is just again the tip of the iceberg of the ones that i drug up you know just in a few minutes of looking but right. can you imagine like there'd always be something and somebody'd be whining about this or that or something else but again, and, if you're exploring topics, like, of course, you're extra going to be looked at, like, just hyper-focused, right? So, I mean, people have right to be concerned about things, but Cookie Monster not being called Cookie Monster and being concerned that he's going to be called Veggie Monster, like, come on, <laughs> don't you have something better to do? <laughs> 
So when Sesame Street Society and their viewership changed, they didn't hold on to old models very long. They didn't get stale. They rolled with it and they brought up new characters and they made small changes to try to keep themselves current. They transitioned repeatedly through over 10 different street sign logos. Uh, they went from rec LP records to cassette tapes, VHS, DVD, website, YouTube channels, apps, and streaming for Roku. They altered their delivery methods of how they said things. They altered characters, episode links, and airtime for their audiences. So, wow, that's just amazing. So much shifting they would have to do, and a lot of shows don't even have to consider all of the aspects, like the shift from the LP records, the cassettes, the tapes, the VHS, the VHS, the DVDs, the like that transition. Like they went through all of that. The show literally grew up with the kids. It did, and it's. You know, if I was to turn just in looking for uh, material for the show, uh, some stuff was popping up and it's, it seems to be very Elmo based now. Like, I mean, I didn't watch anything really, but I remember when you were watching and uh, it was a lot. The focus had changed on the show. It wasn't quite the same as when I had grown up and, you know, some segments were pulled for, you know, reasons and um yeah, there had been a real change there. And then I remember when your sister was young, we would try to get her to watch little things. And she, of course, then it's not being played freely. You can turn on the the more current version hand, of, yeah. of Sesame Street. But, you know, of course, I'm looking for the nostalgic value to show her some of what I watched as well. So you can still pull up those clips on YouTube and it's kind of fun to watch them and realize how much you, you remember, but how much you forgot that you remember things yeah exactly and amazingly after all of this the team did not give up um with all the criticisms and all these you know different shifts in time and all these different taping methods and whatever um they didn't dig their heels in and ignore the gaps they didn't throw in the towel they did what needed to be done to hold on to their long range and broad vision vision. And each time they regrouped and reassessed and responded by adjusting their model or technique to improve it all. And um, overall the parallel in today's show is oftentimes growth means change. So it can, and it can sometimes be very uncomfortable. Um, it can include accepting constructive criticism, even when we don't ask for it looking at our blind spots and shortfalls, finding new solutions and integrating them, making adjustments and measuring results. Even if we liked the old way better, old habits die hard. Um, but that can be the lesson for all of us. Yeah, that's a big lesson. Mm -hmm. And um, just as a final note, uh, despite its reputation as probably the most aware and inclusive children's show that ever existed. It turns out that cultural attitudes have changed so much since its beginning in 1969 that now many of the older original episodes are labeled with an adult's only warning. Ah. Imagine. <laughs> yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, no, warning. And I know that's not what they're talking about. It's about more complex topics, but 
imagine yeah according to the new york times the warning reads these early sesame street episodes are intended for grown-ups and may not suit the needs of today's preschool children which we both kind of find is a bit ridiculous but that's a topic for another day so uh we hope that you found the information in today's episode interesting i certainly did um lots of stuff i've learned and a lot of more complex topics that i didn't realize that sesame street even explored like just watching the shows as a kid i know that they explored things um further than most kids shows or even adult shows for that matter but the just broad range of just every element the characters to the actors to the topics involved to the different muppets and how they partook in certain conversations and the snuffle up i guess thing and the just every element was so well thought out i mean they're on their 54th season so i mean they've got to be doing something right way to go sesame street <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so thank you so much for tuning in again, and uh, we hope to see you next week. Bye. If you or someone you know has a unique story to tell, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at theimperfectpodcast@outlook.com. For more information and how to connect with us on social media, you can visit us at our website, theimperfectpodcast.ca. And from whichever platform you are listening to this episode, be sure to like, share, and leave us a review. We would really appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We look forward to hearing your feedback and seeing you all find that extra joy and embrace your own imperfect. See you next week. week.